episode 391, Something Wicked This Way Comes. Welcome to the Strangers and Aliens podcast. Strangers. <laughs> to boldly say what needs to be said. Would you be a stranger or an alien? Or would you be a strange alien? The truth is out there. Strangers and aliens. I am your father's best friend, Plumber. versus Captain Kirk. Do you think that there's room in sci-fi for God? The very first thing that God did was that he created something, so we have a creative God. This is Strangers and Aliens Podcast. Hey everyone, it's me, Ben, Ben Avery, and this is another episode of Strangers and Aliens. It's October, and so that means that um, I've pulled John Haru out of storage and got him on the mic again. Yeah, he finally pulled me out of the cupboard, and here I am. Yeah, yeah, because it's October. Although, I mean, you've been you've been on a few times since October, so... This year, I think so. I mean, we can go back and look. Oh no, no, we did do we did do that terrible Roland Emmerich movie mm-hmm. that we don't say the name of. We did Nope. Oh, we did do Nope. We did Nope. We did Nope. Didn't Nope didn't sit didn't I? That's one of those movies where I don't really remember it this far out unless someone brings it up because it was good, but. Yeah, it had its merits. <laughs> it had its merits. Uh, yeah, but this one is one that the uh, the topic is really it's it's you. Like you were the one who brought it up with with me first. I did bring this up. I, I brought it up with the intention of actually possibly doing it with uh, Evan because uh, Evan doesn't like the creepy thing so uh-huh. much, but he's a big Disney fanboy, And so I figured, you know, let's, let's, let's pull something out of the Disney archives when they would make all genres of films, uh, that everybody would enjoy instead of just kids movies. Well, um, and this was around the time when they were trying to pull away from animation mm-hmm. and you know, this is around, I'm not sure exactly where it all fits together, but around black cauldron time and, mm-hmm. Before the Renaissance, before Little Mermaid and, and Beauty and the Beast. This is, I think, 81, 82 around in there. Yeah, this, this is the Disney that I grew up with. And, um, you know, they, they, dipped their, uh, they dipped their toe in family-friendly horror a couple times. Yeah, yeah. Um, this would make uh, a great double feature with Stranger in the Woods, which was their well, other theatrical well, family horror movie that they did. Well, well, they also also the original uh, race to which mountain is considered family horror esque as well. Yeah, I mean, I drop it into the seventies sci fi, but it has its horror elements as well. It has the word witch in the title. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> those movies, they those uh, the witch mountain movies. I never saw the third one, which doesn't count in my opinion because it retcons the second movie and it's not very good, but it was actually set up for maybe what would have been a TV series. But those two movies, I remember watching Sunday night, wonderful world of Disney. And... <laughs> okay. Now, now you're making me feel old. Stop yeah. That. Yeah. And <laughs> they just creeped me out and I loved them, loved them so much. Um, now this movie that we're talking about here, I didn't see back then. I didn't see back in the eighties. I didn't see this movie for the first time until it was the, it was my, it was, I think it was the last day of sixth grade, which would have been 
I want to say 94, 95, somewhere in there. So, so you were just feeling old because I mentioned Wonderful World of Disney. Yes. You were in sixth grade in 94. That was sophomore year. So <laughs> you're making me feel old right now. Well, but. I, 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 I know you're a little bit older than me, but not like extravagantly. Not no, like no, Steve no. older than me. Sophomore year for me would have been, you said sixth grade? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we're just, we're just talking like four or five years, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we could have been a youth group together, you know? Uh, possibly. In a small enough possibly. church. In a small enough yeah, church, yeah. we could have been a youth group. For together. sure. Which my church back then was small enough. We had 10 to 12 kids. Mine too. Yeah. So, <laughs> but anyway, so you saw it sixth grade. Mm-hmm. Was it? They had, they brought it in on a VHS. Okay. It was one of those things. It was one of those things where it was like last day of school. Nobody cares. Let's watch a movie, you know? That's what I was wondering is if it was something like that when you, cause you remember the last day of school. Like that's a. Yeah. Well, the movie actually stuck with me is, is what it was. It was, it was striking enough to, to stick with me. I like, I legit saw it then and I didn't watch it again until I bought it after I was married. And I didn't see it until I want to say maybe 11, 12 years ago, I bought it on DVD because of, uh, because of uh, it being Ray Bradbury, but also because of Jonathan Price, because he's in one of my favorite movies. And I'm like, what would he, how is he going to, what's this going to be like with him in here? Because I only know him from Brazil, where he's just this Mm kind of, you know, nebbish little guy who's just trying to get through all the paperwork and and doesn't, you know, have any backbone. And um, how's that going to work? And so I watched it then, and I watched it last year, because we talked about doing this episode last year. (laughs) In October. Yeah. And and read the book last we've, year. We've talked about doing a lot of things, Ben. Yes. Yes, we have. <laughs> and sometimes we get around to it like we are now. Um, and I just watched it last week and and didn't read the book, but listened to it this time around. And yeah. So it stuck with I, me. There's some visuals in this movie, though, that are definitely they're the stick with you visuals, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, getting back to Jonathan, you said Jonathan Price was his name, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I've seen him in other movies. I his name's not one that's familiar to me. It's more his voice that mm-hmm. it's just like I've heard this before. He does a bang up job in this movie. I think. Um, oh yeah, he's, he's got one of those voices. He's got one of those voices that is comforting and disgusting at the same time. It's like, it's sort of like having curdled milk porn poured over <laughs> you. <laughs> I, I hope he's not listening, but <laughs> <laughs> Hey, if he is uh, Mr. Price, if you would like to be featured on any of my podcasts <laughs> or Ben podcasts, we are super open to your guesting. Oh, so word. I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> you painted an interesting word picture, but uh, especially in this movie, he just carries himself with this low key menace where it's like, absolutely, there is menace behind everything, but it's just that kind of British charm that mm-hmm. kind of holds the menace in check. And it's almost like the kind of thing where, you know, when you were a kid and you would like insult someone, mm-hmm. but you didn't really insult them, but the, just the tone of voice, you know? And, and so mm-hmm. when they said, he said this and you could say, what? You know, I didn't, I didn't mean anything by it. He's, he's kind of got that here where it's just like this, clearly there's menace behind it, but it's like, what, what are you talking about? I mean, <laughs> yes, I want to murder two children, but not I want to really. get, I want to give you a prize for it. Yeah, too, so. I'll pay you. So, Hey, so let's talk about what this movie is about. So yeah. Uh, Something Wicked This Way comes based on the novel by Ray Bradbury, which was based mm-hmm. on the screenplay. By Ray Bradbury. By Ray Bradbury. Which was based on an idea that he pitched to, I think it was Gene Kelly, uh, the dancing and uh, acting superstar. He dedicated the book to him because the idea was, oh, wait, where is that at? Uh, maybe he didn't. I thought he had dedicated the book to 
Gene Kelly, but it was the idea was he saw Singing in the Rain. He had an idea for the for a, uh, a merry-go-round that goes backwards and mm-hmm. takes you back in time. And he pitched the idea, and Gene Kelly liked the idea. Again, I'm throwing that name out, but maybe I should check Wikipedia. But um, and he, they couldn't get funding, and so he took his idea and turned it into the book. And yeah. then after the book was published, lots of people tried to make the movie, but Disney finally got around to it. And no Gene Kelly. No, no. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> what's the movie about? Um, Do you want to try and explain it? <laughs> I, I can. I actually, you know what? I, I came up with a very apt synopsis and my wife agreed with my. With my observations, so I'll throw this out there for for your approval. Uh, this movie is essentially the family version of Needful Things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, mix <laughs> mix in because uh, that's not the direction I went. I I was thinking more the family version of it. I could see that. Yeah, yeah. But uh, Needful Things, I think, I think that's also because it's. I'm going to give you what you want, but you're not mm-hmm. going to like it. <laughs> Exactly. So I, I actually, in my notes, I was trying to figure out like why I like Ray Bradbury. One of the reasons that I would put for that is that he's kind of a kind hearted Stephen King. Uh, I can see that. He sets a mood like Stephen King does, but it's not as well. He, he he's like Jonathan Price in this movie. He's like the illustrated man in this movie uh, where there's menace, but there's a, uh, a nice sheen over the menace and he and we'll talk about we want to talk about the book now or you want to talk about I, it later because we we whenever you feel like having that conversation <laughs> i mean let's let's continue talking about the movie you know so <laughs> the movie's about a, a carnival that comes into town and it's about two boys who are on the cusp of really being young men they're about to enter or about to yeah, they're about to enter puberty in the movie. They're older mm-hmm. in the book, but um, so they're about to become young men, and one of them does not have a father, and the other, his father is a very old man in the sense that he married at a very old age, comparatively speaking, and so he really is old enough to be his son's grandfather in some ways, and so mm-hmm. he is looking back at the past. The boys are looking forward into the future. They all have wants. And ideas of what they want or would wish for. And this carnival comes into town as it comes and goes throughout the countryside in different places. And it offers the people what they want. Because it's a magical for carnival. A price. And there's definitely a price. and A Jonathan price, if you will. <laughs> Yeah. Sorry, Steve. Steve isn't here, so someone's got to make the dad jokes. Someone's got to throw out the puns. Yeah, but yeah, he uh, he can give them what they want, but he exacts a very uh, a, a horrible price in, in some cases, and it's the kind of thing where you lose your soul and mm-hmm. lose your life, and so now it's good versus evil. Yep. Black hat versus white hat, which is a big motif in the, in the book. book. Yeah. 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 So our two boy characters are Jim Nightshade and Will Holloway. And one of them was born a couple minutes before midnight. One of them was born a couple minutes after midnight. They're born in the same hospital. They're neighbors. And um, Jim Nightshade has dark hair. And Will Holloway has light hair. <laughs> and yeah, the idea yeah, is you're... which which one's going to get pulled by evil? I, into the... I wonder. Yeah. yeah. Uh, excuse me, Mr. Bradbury, but your allegories are showing. <laughs> hey, did you know, though, uh, I was researching the movie and the actor who plays Will Holloway has dark hair and they had to bleach it. And the actor who plays oh, really? Jim Nightshade had blonde hair and they had to color it. I did not know that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to be perfectly honest, that's a little bit surprising because the kid who played uh, Jim Nightshade, uh, his complexion was a little bit darker. So it matched his uh, dark hair color. 
very yeah, well. You can't really tell by by watching the movie, but yeah, if you read the Wikipedia page, you would totally know because <laughs> it it says it in the Wikipedia page. But so they, um, Jim is the one who's kind of kind of constantly pushing and 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 wants to age, wants to get older faster, and Will is the one who is you know just slightly younger, but he's the one who. He likes being a kid and he's not in any hurry to grow up. And Will's dad is the one who is the older man who really wants to be young again. The carnival comes into town. But before the carnival comes into town, you want to talk about your uh, your allegory showing, your metaphor is leaking. You have the, the lightning rod salesman who comes into town because yeah. a storm is coming. A storm is coming. And... He does it a little bit differently in the movie than he does in the book, but he does the same thing where he gives a lightning rod to Jim Nightshade because lightning's going to strike your house. It's going to strike his house. Um, and it does because he's the one who really gets kind of under the spell more than more than Will. But Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of an overview. Once you read that yeah. first chapter, once you see the first few scenes – you know what's going to happen. You're this. pretty much, you, yeah. You, it's it, it's a it's a it's really a uh, on rails after that. I mean, it's you know what you're in for. The thing that that does throw it a little bit off, where it's not just hey, it's the carnival coming in and doing bad things and the wishes, is the Ferris wheel. Oh, not the Ferris wheel. Sorry, the Ferris wheel is part of things, but the the, the merry-go-round. The merry-go-round. If you ride it backwards, it'll age you backwards. And if you write it forward, it'll age you forward. And you have a subplot in the middle where there's an old teacher who wants to be young again. And she gets tempted into the carnival basically because the carnival sends a boy to infiltrate. But the boy is not a boy. The boy is a man who rode on the merry-go-round. And the it's Mr. Cougar. Yeah. <laughs> the kid that plays Mr. Cougar as a kid. That, that kid's creepy, man. Okay, so when we were watching this, when me and my wife were watching this last night, the first thing that went through my mind was like, this is that kid, uh, I think his name was Gage from uh, the Pet Cemetery. Was it? No, but I mean, oh, it just it, looks like he it. had the same, he had the same feel to okay. it. It's just right. like, my my wife was like, oh, it's the good son. And I'm like, no, this is Pet Cemetery <laughs> here. Like, he's going to be hide, hiding underneath someone's bed with a scalpel going oh, to take oh. out Achilles tendon. <laughs> yeah, that kid, he they, – they great casting with that kid. I mean, as far as children actors go, that he, he carried himself well. But, yeah. And in the book, they, it plays out a little bit differently. But in <laughs> here in the movie – he he knows that the that Jim and Will are on to him. And mm-hmm. so to you know his weapon against them is guilt. He throws a rock through a window. And of course, this nephew that no one knew about, not even <laughs> the the woman who he's staying with, um, he wouldn't have done it. And so they get blamed for it and they have to go on the run. And yeah, but that whole segment there, you've got the visual of the merry-go-round. And then the climax, there's some visuals with the with the merry-go-round that, I mean, again, you say it's on rails. It is kind of, but then you get to the merry-go-round, you're like, oh, interesting idea. But then as soon as you see the merry-go-round and what it does, you're on rails again. Because there's only one way yeah. that this thing is going to go. There's only right. one way. But yeah. And if you'd like to do some deeper research, there's an episode of Ray Bradbury Theater that is based on the short story that is just that segment of hmm. of the book and it's it's slightly different in the way it plays out but not not too much not too much uh, i i i might check that out if i knew what ray bradbury theater was so think twilight zone okay. only half hour in the 80s made mm-hmm. for television on a cable network and it's ray bradbury's short stories yeah, that doesn't sound like anything. Five seasons, maybe. <laughs> it was, and I've seen every episode of it. But uh, well, okay, well, that 
there, there's a big difference between you and me when it comes to Ray Bradbury as well. So, <laughs> okay, but here's the question then. We'll talk about the book in a moment. But this movie, it affected mm-hmm. you as a kid. Watching it yeah. as an adult, do you still enjoy it? Did you like it? I do. Um, which which was surprising to me when I saw that the screenplay was by Ray Bad- Bradbury mm-hmm. as well, uh, because that only made an impact on me this time after having tried to read two of his books at this juncture. Um, prior to that, I was like, I don't know who that is. Uh, so, yeah, uh, I, I, I've without diving into the book conversation too much. Mm-hmm. Um, I was surprised that this movie was done by him because he corrects some of the biggest problems I have with his writing by his uh, screenplay writing. Yeah. And he did a lot of different screenplay things over time. He did a lot of the screenplays, maybe all of them for rib Bradbury theater, but he also mm-hmm. Gregory Peck's uh, Moby Dick. He scripted that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a big budget movie. Um, he wrote the screen story, if not the screenplay for, uh, it came from outer space. Which, I've seen that. And, and I, so, I, I could, I can see red, I can see Bradbury's, uh, fingers on that a bit. Yeah. So yeah, it's, and so here's, let's just get into a little bit of the, the book stuff here. There's, there's no point in holding it off. I yeah, think we might as well just tease the it. mystique of it. I, I am clearly a fan of Ray Bradbury. I don't like every single thing he's written. I've written or I've read a number of his short stories and some of them are just like, eh. but, um, and even Martian Chronicles is hit or miss. Some of those short stories are really, really, really good. And some of them are just kind of, well, it's okay. And there's one or two in there that I'm like, I don't like that at all. Why is that in here? Because it's, it's just, yeah. and, and part of it is a modern lens. Um, I mean, he was writing, you know, back in the fifties and sixties and that, but um, yeah, I, I like his writing style because it brings a sense of macabre and melancholy and magic mm-hmm. and kind of mixes it all together. And like I said before, a kind hearted Stephen King in some ways, just in the sense of mood that he brings to things. It's not, okay. It's not a, a – actually, it, the mood is something that, that really draws me to him. The uh, – something Wicked This Way comes is, in my in my judgment, one of the best October books you could read because it's mm-hmm. this – it just sets up a sense of fall is coming in, leaves are changing, the wind is blowing, you're coming off of summer. And he wrote another book called Dandelion Wine which is also that one is just a beautiful book to me. Um, it takes place in the same town. He has three books that all take place in Greentown. None of them have crossover characters, uh, but it's, it's just one of them takes place back in the twenties when one of them takes place, you know, closer to like the fifties or sixties or whatever. And then one of them is a little bit further, but they also take place in kind of seasons. And so dandelion wine is all about summer and summer winding down and, you know, you have kids who are, are just like, oh, summer's winding down and school's going to happen. And you've got these adults who are um, just kind of you know, living through the seasons. There's a lot of similar themes of aging and children who are, you know, wanting to push forward and, and move into the next step as quickly as they can. And adults who are, you know, mourning and grieving the loss of the previous steps and, and that kind of thing. Um and so I just, I just, those books, especially now you read Fahrenheit 451, which I haven't read in a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that one didn't hit you well, <laughs> did it? So, yeah. So the, yeah, this was the second Ray Bradbury book that I have attempted to read this year. Um, for my other podcast, we read allegedly, we covered Fahrenheit 451, which was, Picked by a mutual friend of Ben and mine. Uh, I call her Squid. Ben calls her Catherine. Um, a cat. I call her cat oh, as well. There's yeah. that too. So um, Squid threw me because I'm like, what animal are we, am I supposed to call her? Is it squid or cat? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, six of one, <laughs> half a dozen of the other. Right, exactly. Um, 
But, uh, so I, I read through that. I did not enjoy that. He got, he came across to me as being exceptionally preachy in it. Like he was trying to put, he put his message before the plot, which I think is a terrible thing to do in any art form is to put your, to put your messaging as a higher priority than the art that you're using to convey the message. Because if your message is good, but your art is bad, then no one's going to be interested in your art. In my opinion, or that's your the message. way. Yeah. yeah. So I, I didn't like that. And he took forever to get where he was going. And when he got there, he only stayed there for like 40 minutes and left. And it's just like all this build up for nothing. So I, that, that book was, not great for me. And then when we decided to do this for the Halloween episode, I'm like, okay, well I can give him a second chance with, uh, and try to do the book for, uh, something wicked this way comes for the episode. I got, a th- I got about a third of the way into it. I'm like, I can't do this. He's doing the same thing. Although he doesn't have a message in this one that he's pushing. Like he did in four- Fahrenheit 451. He still is just taking for, ever to get to where he's going. Um, it, it, it felt a lot like a college student who was, uh, fluffing his term paper so he could hit the uh, word count that he needed to have. <laughs> and I know that's saying a lot for me with my favorite author being, or one of my favorite authors being HP Lovecraft, because he is very verbose in how he approaches things too. But I, I think the part of it that really, it rubs me wrong uh, with that is that um, he's not very acerbic with how he treats his characters. Ray Bradbury. I mean, um, like whenever you have like the, it, <sighs> His, his stories are too fluffy for me, if that makes sense. The edges to it are a little bit rounded off and it's a little bit. I don't know how to really explain it outside of the fact that it just like, if it was food, it would need more acid. It needs a little bit, it needs to bite me a little bit harder. If it, if you're going to take forever to get to where you're going. And I think honestly that you and I are looking at the same coin. Like it's, it really is just kind of coming at that coin from different sides because mm-hmm. what you're describing, I could totally understand someone not liking it, but at the same time, the, the leisurely way that he writes and the, um, I, I won't, I use leisurely instead of flowery because I don't feel like he's throwing out unnecessary adjectives and adverbs and stuff like that. I, I feel like he is, uh, definitely trying to paint a word picture though. And in doing so, it is quite possible that I could I could see someone being, yeah, put off by it. Like, get to the point, you know. <laughs> but yeah. for me, I mean, it carries me, and and for me, it it sets the scene. And especially what I'm looking for when I read something wicked this way comes, especially in October, is I want something that's going to you know describe the chill and describe the and. and describe the yeah the season and yeah I, and so i i think that we we both are looking at the same thing and saying this is my taste and this is not my taste kind of a thing with that yeah well i i don't i don't have a problem with people being descriptive or necessarily overly descriptive like we we've talked about the fact that i i do like stephen king um but i think the difference being between stephen king and Ray Bradbury, because you to to use your comparison is that Stephen King doesn't have a problem with a certain amount of cruelty. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. Whereas Ray Bradbury is a little bit more kind to his characters. Um, to you know, to to go one for one, uh, like I said, the this story has a very needful things feel to it. Um. And in the book, Needful Things, the antagonist in that, Leland Gaunt, you know, there's a big section where he's just selling stuff to the people, you know, giving people their wishes like there were like there is in in this particular story. But you get a revel in the uh, 
consequences of those wishes a little bit more directly in needful things. Yeah. So there's two things that you, when you bring up the, the wishes, uh, there's more of the wish stuff going on in the movie than in the Mm -hmm. book. Um, there's a couple characters in the movie who aren't even in the book in, in the same way, you know, where they, they get the wishes in the movie, but that's not something the book focuses on. Mm -hmm. Uh, the teacher is in the book and the lightning rod salesman is in the book. He also, he gets, um, he gets shrunk down. Uh, the, the teacher gets, um, uh, I'm trying to remember now. She, I think she gets de-aged. Um, but you really have more of, of that kind of thing happening in the movie. And I don't know if that's Ray Bradbury who, who did that and, and did that fix to have that going on in the, in the movie, or if that was something that was added on. Cause there was another screenwriter who was brought in after Bradbury uh, mm. to help fix some things to make the the movie. Um, I'm trying to th- remember. I think it's to make it just more family friendly. <laughs> and, oh. um, but uh, yeah, the, the, the movie itself, there was a, an earlier cut that had some early, early CGI in it and it did not test well. And <laughs> so they came in and reshot some things. The spider scene in the, yeah. the room you can tell the kids are older because they came back, you know, like almost a year later to, oh, really? to reshoot that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I really am curious. I found out that the Ray Bradbury museum is in Indianapolis. So two and a half hour drive from where I live and they wow. have his collection of, um, proof films where, you know, as a producer, he was sent these films and, and for the Ray Bradbury theater as well. And there is a VHS cassette that has the original cut of something wicked this way comes that includes the opening scene where the, with the CGI, where the train rolls into town and then the train's smoke turns into like the tent uh, for the, the carnival and some things like that with, with CGI. And I'm really curious. I, I really want to visit the place I know I can get a tour. I'm just not sure if they'll let me sit down in front of a VHS <laughs> player and, and put in the video cassette and watch a two-hour movie You would <laughs> when they're only open for three that... hours on Wednesday every week. <laughs> nice. I don't know. You, you would think that they would have the ability to digitize those and then like produce on demand for people who are willing to pay for it. You're like, here's a copy. Uh, but technically, that's a Disney thing. Like Disney owns a picture. Yeah. So. Yeah. But, uh, with all that said, um, I, I, I get what you're saying and I, I can understand. I, again, it's a kind hearted Stephen King. Stephen King is not only willing to put his characters through awful, awful things, but he's also allow, allows his character to be awful people. And yeah, and even in this, you have clear bad guys, clear good guys, and then you have Will and Jim who are, you know, at the cusp of making decisions that are going to take them left or right. They even bring up, you know, uh, I think it's in the book where they talk about, um, yeah, eventually you got to choose white hat or black hat, you know, and Jim. That is in the book. I remember that. That was a conversation with uh, Will's dad. Yeah, yeah. And the idea being that Jim might choose a black hat. But it'll be okay. Did you get to the library in the book? Uh, which library? You talking well, about the, the, library? the big climactic library scene where, no. um, okay, where again? So the illustrated man, the uh, Jonathan Price character, again, he, he's just hanging a lampshade on that. His name is Mr. Dark. And that is Jonathan Price. He plays Mr. Dark. But a, one of the big climactic scenes is this battle of words, battle of, of wills between Will's dad and Mr. Dark in the library as Will and Jim are hiding from Mr. Dark because he wants them. And he ha- actually has their faces tattooed on his hands. <laughs> so it's it's creepy. But um, – in the book, I think it's a fantastic scene. In the movie, I think it's a fantastic scene as well. Jonathan Price, as he's like talking about, I don't need your books. And and he's like, do you want to be younger? I'll let you be 
30 if you just tell me where your kids are. 30. I'll take you to 30. And he like starts describing what it means to be 30. And then he tears a page out of a book. Nope. Too late. 31. You know, and he's like, and it just, he carries himself with this regal menace. And yeah, but the, in the book, there's, I feel like that's a really heightened scene, but I also feel like nothing bad is going to happen to my characters here. Like I'm, I'm reading along and I, I appreciate Jim. I appreciate Will and I like their dad or like Will's dad, but uh, they're going to make it through. It's going to be okay. Yeah. That's, that's the phrase I'm looking for. This, the story has no teeth, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I would kind of disagree just because Ray Bradbury tries to put Jim on the chopping, chopping block. You don't know what's going to happen to him, but you know what's going to happen to him. (laughs) Right. So before that scene, there's some great conversation about good and evil though. And about, um, uh, that, that, uh, Will's dad has with the boys in the library. And, uh, I think what sums up the, the theme of things is, is found in this. And one sentence that sums it up is if you're a miserable sinner in one shape, you're a miserable sinner in another. And (laughs) That preaches, you know, if you're ever sitting there thinking, oh, if only my life could be better, you know, if, if only I had this or that or had more money or had the right, you know, car or whatever, which is what I'm going through right now with car troubles and things like that. Yeah. Uh, if only I had the right um, opportunities, you know, I could just if I could just have that, I could be a better person. But the truth is, you know, if you had that, you'd be the same person the difference would be you had the thing. And so yeah, like wh- who you are without is the same person as you would be with, you know? And mm-hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. And so there's, there's some stuff about, like I said, good and evil in there and about life. I mean, he really gets philosophical and pontificates quite a bit in there. So I don't know if that's the kind of thing that you Ray Bradbury. No. <laughs> yeah. I, I was going to say, I don't know if that's the kind of thing that would, you'd appreciate or if you'd be like yep more more of the same (laughs) uh i I, like i said i don't i don't mind it as long as authors don't get so Mm heavy-handed with it that it takes precedent over the actual story that they're writing like he did in fahrenheit 451 (laughs) again that's been actually that's probably college since i've read that one but Uh, I, I, uh, the big, the big thing, the big thing, and we read allegedly was that they, uh, Squid and Celeste both thought that uh, that book was required reading in school, like nationally. And I'm like, no, nope, never seen it. I never read it. I said, but then you know, I read The Crucible. That was required reading for me in high school. And they're like, we never read that. Like, <laughs> well, then there you go. Did you read 1984 in, in high school? Nope. Okay. Have you read it at all? Nope. Okay. So for Fahrenheit, uh, Fahrenheit, Fahrenheit, good grief. Fahrenheit 451, Brave New World in 1984 all kind of belong together in a box set of, mm-hmm. um, you know, dystopian futures that could have happened, but didn't, but could have. Yet. Anyway, it's been a long time since I read that book. Long time. So... And I was trying to think, like, is there a Ray Bradbury book that could be, like, the opportunity? You've got strike one and strike two. Can we get one more pitch? Oh, gee. You're, you're, you're like you're – I can't like, think of uh, anything. I, I can't <laughs> – before you like, say anything more, I can't think of anything, John, that I would say, ah, if you didn't like those two, you might like this one. No, I don't think it's going to happen. You're, you're like Dallas with the Gundam TV shows. He's like, just – Three episodes, man. That's all I'm asking you for. There's three episodes and reserve judgment until then. At least that's only, you know, 90 minutes. Right. If I'm asking another book out of you, like that's, that's a lot more than that. Depends on which book. Uh, but here, here's the thing though. There is one other book by him. I, that still has me a bit curious. And it's because I, I read about it in the book, uh, Lovecraft country by Matt Ruff. It was mentioned in the same breath as uh, some weird fiction. And you were just talking about it earlier on the show, which is the Martian Chronicles. So here's the good thing about the Martian Chronicles is that it's a a collection of short stories that originally weren't necessarily connected, Mm -hmm. but that he 
when he collected them, um, he made connections. And mm. so he changed dates and things like that to make it a timeline of, of history of man going to Mars. Mm. And so what makes it good is that since they're short stories, you're not stuck with the same characters for the entire time. And you are moving from one short plot to another short plot. You might mm. appreciate his short fiction more than his long fiction. Um, because even though it's sold as like, I've got the book that's novels, but then it's novels and story cycles. So mm. it's like the Martian Chronicles is not a novel that follows a set of characters through a set of events. It's one that has a bunch of different short stories. And some of them are classics as far as classic sci-fi goes that he, he was in some ways ahead of the curve and in some ways behind the curve. Cause he was writing about Mars as they imagined it, even though they knew it wasn't the same thing, you know? So it's basically like his version of Hyperion. Uh, you mean the Dan Simmons book? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I, I took you for a loop there for a second. You well, got real I, confused. On... <laughs> you know why? That's why one of my that? favorite books of all time. <laughs> but not many people that I've talked to have read it. It's so like that's... I, I, I haven't I haven't read it. I know oh, enough okay. about it though. I have I have I've I've gone through some of other Dan Simmons other stuff and you you had dropped Hyperion at, at, dropped the title of it in one of the very first uh, Strangers and Aliens episodes. Um, yeah, and it stuck with me since, and it's been on my to to be read list. Um, but I did read uh, the Summer of Darkness. Okay, yeah. Uh, um, because I was going through uh, books like it mm-hmm. phase for a while, and then um, I've read the Terror. Hmm. I've and... read that one. I, I haven't read a couple of his newer ones, so I haven't read Drood. Um. I'm trying to think of the other ones that that I haven't read, but have you, you've so you've read Summer of Darkness? Did you read um, any of the other in that you know that season cycle? No. Okay. I, I I've been told that his Winter of Whatever, which was the return to that mm-hmm. town as an as an adult, um, was kind of more of the same. Doesn't really bring anything extra. So, yeah, he at one point I would have said he's one of my favorite writers. Um, I don't know if I'd say that now, but I still like Hyperion and then Fall of Hyperion um, are two of my favorite books. I, I do want to give a content warning, though, to anyone who, who hears us talking about this. Like there's 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 a lot of content in there. Uh, and... There's there's a lot of content in several of his books. Mm-hmm. Um, I can tell you that. Uh, um, the Terror has some content in it that if I had known about it, I probably wouldn't have read it. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a one sequence in Hyperion that this time around, uh, cause I recently reread it and I was just like, I feel icky, icky, icky. Like mm-hmm. I am a voyeur right now. And I, and, and then it got to where it's like, I'm actually feeling kind of angry at him. Like the way he's writing about these scenes, like this is, there's a particular scene yeah. in the book it that uh that is the reason had... I haven't read the book it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, we're, they we're talking it about in the both same movie scene. versions, yeah. Yes. Um Song of Cal Song of Kali, that was mm-hmm. the that was the third that was the other book of his that I have that I've only gone about halfway through because there's just a gross feeling to it like not for the reasons we were talking about for his other stuff but uh there's just kind of a yucky feel to yeah. it that is just like, I don't know how I feel about this. And that's what brings him down a notch. Now I, I appreciate the genius in Hyperion and fall of Hyperion, but mm-hmm. the, the content warning is absolute. Like it's be very careful if you're sensitive, to that kind of thing. Um, mm. Fortunately it's in a book. You can, in some ways you can frame the the images as you want to, you know, but or skip past that section mm-hmm. entirely. But yeah, definitely you got to be careful there. So, but back to Ray Bradbury, we don't really <laughs> have that content warning for something wicked. This week no. comes. Uh, 
I'll just close my discussion on the book by saying it is one of my favorite books now. Uh, having read really? it, yeah, yeah, having read it twice in in October, two years in a row, I think that might end up being a ongoing uh, tradition for me. I'm not sure, but um, let's get back to the movie. Okay, let's get back to the movie. Um, so we're talking about our responses to it now. Uh, the it doesn't scare me. Let's put it that way. And I never saw it at an age where I feel like it would have scared me, but it's, there's some effective stuff in there. The, the spider scene, Mm -hmm. like those are kids with real spiders. Yeah. It's, (laughs) uh, I'd be scared too. If I was those kids, like it's, it's creepy. It's creepy and intense. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say that, uh, it's scary by any sense, but it, it has the ability to develop a certain murky atmosphere um, that I enjoy. Well, and there's also an existential dread mm-hmm. in it. Um, like I said, you've got the older man who is a father who's being tempted with, with being younger. His wife mm-hmm. is younger and, and she is, um, was and is a beautiful woman and they use that against him um and i'm watching it now i mean i I just had my 48th birthday so i'm i'm creeping up there you know as far as age goes and Mm -hmm. you know so watching this and reading it now i'm like i can like this is a character i relate to (laughs) and it's it's uh it's interesting how he's able to play both sides uh with the story where you've got the boys who are growing up and the the older man, but um, they added something into the movie that wasn't in the book. And that was this idea of uh, Jim, not Jim, uh, Will falling into a river and he Mm. was too old to jump in after him and help. And so uh, Jim's father jumps in and saves his son. And it really, brings that theme of this man who wants to be wishes he could be younger uh, and mm-hmm. puts it in a different light. I, I feel like that was a definite uh, improvement on the book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I Something else I've noticed about this movie too, is it, it feels different each time you watch it. Hmm. Um. Because th- this is probably about the third time I've watched it now. And I remember last time I was just kind of like, I remember this being better. And then I watched it again last night and I was just like, I don't know what I was thinking about last time because I enjoyed it <laughs> quite a bit. So I-, I think a lot of it kind of is dependent on what kind of mood you're in, uh, to be perfectly honest, and in how well you receive it, which... You know, it, it, it's fine. It, it's good, actually, because it, it goes to show that, uh, you know, it, art is subjective and it, it's, it can even be subjective to the same person in individual yeah. viewings. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I could see how watching this could become or reading the book could be, become a, a, almost a seasonal ritual. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I liked in the movie, some of the details of just the, the small town life that they have there. But, um, mm. and again, this is not from the book, but the, you have the high school quarterback hero who lost his leg and his arm. And now mm. he's the bartender and he goes to the carnival. He looks in the mirror, sees who he would want to be, which is to have his body whole again. And he gets it Uh spoiler but the way he gets it is because he gets de-aged to a point in time before he lost his limbs. But I found it so interesting. And it goes back to that whole idea of if you're a ordinary sinner in one form, you're going to be an ordinary sinner in another form. Uh, early in the movie, the father walks into the bar and Ed tosses him the ball. Mm-hmm. And, you know, cause he's a football star, you know, or actually he throws the ball to Ed or whatever. Um, and Ed catches it and everything. As a child, and they don't know this, but the child comes through. He looks like Ed. He's wearing clothes like Ed, and he's carrying a football. And the dad's like, that's that's really odd. And the kid throws the football to the dad, and it's a good throw. 
And then the dad, this is the carnival is going by in a parade. The dad throws it back to him. He catches it with one arm. (laughs) And I thought it was so interesting. Like he's still the man who has lived a lifetime only having one arm. And so just having that arm there again isn't a part. And I don't know if they directed that or not. I feel like they had to have though, because it just felt so right. But they're definitely playing up this idea of, you know, you might get your wish, but it doesn't change who you are. And you really don't want your wish. Do you hear hearing how you describe that right there? You know, you know what else, what other parallel I just pulled this to No. This, this, this story to, uh, the visitation by Frank Peretti, which is, I read that one. That's the one with like the, the dragon in it. No, that's the, that's the, uh, that's the oath. That's the oath. Um, the, the visitation. Oath. You can't see this on the podcast, but <laughs> I actually had that right next to me too. But. Um, no, the visitation was the one where it, the, it's the, uh, oh! the pastor, the pastor who left yeah. his church. And... You had me watch the movie. Yeah. 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 I read the book years ago, but you haven't watched the movie two years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Or three, something like that. I don't know. Which is another sort of needful things esque mm-hmm. style of storytelling. And I think, and I think uh, that book actually does a much better way of conveying the moral without letting it overshadow the narrative than. I think Bradbury's capable of doing. Yeah. I, I do feel like what Bradbury's trying to say with the, with this book and with the movie and, you know, maybe this is going a little into what you're saying about, like, if you start with your, with your idea, with your theme, be careful. Um, but it's uh, in some ways, I think it's be content with where you're at mm-hmm. and, and be the best you with where you're at, you know, like, don't, be constantly looking forward, constantly looking back, but be where you are, you know? Um, actually, we just, our sermon series at church right now is about that. Um, it's about the uh, Jeremiah and how he is, his messages to the people of Israel who are exiled to Babylon. And it's like, you're here, plant your, plant your crops, raise your, raise your livestock and live your life because this is where you are. Live the best life you can and Allow the city where you live to prosper because it, if it prospers, you'll prosper. And, you know, this is this is your life right now. So don't be looking back and looking forward too much. It's okay to look back and remember. Ray Bradbury deals in nostalgia. Like that's one mm. of the things that he he deals in. And um, so he made, he made uh, somewhat of a living on nostalgia. But so he, he would never say don't look back because – you wouldn't want to read some of his stories then because it's all about looking back, but, um, but yeah, but to take where you are and it doesn't mean you shouldn't try to grow and it doesn't mean you shouldn't try to, um, uh, to learn. And it doesn't mean that you should say I'm in a horrible place where I'm being hurt all the time. So I should stay here though. Cause that's where God put me. It doesn't mean that, but it does mean right. to look at where you are right now and, and say, okay, what does God want for me here? Because I'm here. So what does God want for me here? Right. Where is he taking me and what can I learn from my past? And you want to watch the road, but don't get so fixated on what's beyond what you can see that you trip over what's right in front of you. So. Right. You found the weak connection, Ben. I did. I think I have found one. <laughs> so, <laughs> and actually, I don't think that's a weak connection. I do think Bradbury's saying some of that pretty directly. You know, you know, whatever. <laughs> In my shows, that would have been a weak connection. We would have all applauded you. So, um, In my weak connections... I'm, I recognize, you know, they aren't trying to say this at all. So this is me bringing it to the, to the tables. Right. Yeah. So I, I actually, I'm, I'm glad that last year you, um, you brought it up maybe more than last year, but last year was when we were talking about doing it and I, I watched it last year and I was glad to watch it. Glad that I read it when I did. And then this year, I'm glad we finally got to talk about it, but in some ways I'm glad to have seen it twice right. and, and read it twice to be able to like, just really appreciate it and, and what it did. 
So sorry that I put you through that novel. <laughs> One third <laughs> no, of it. That was, that was, that was, that was my decision, sir. And that was me more doing it to give Ray Bradbury <laughs> a second chance. than it was for so much that I think we should talk about it on the show. If it well, was an, if it was an Avenue, we could have gone down great, but to be perfectly honest, it was just, I got to the point where it's just like, I, I, I don't care. I, you know, and we, I had just gotten to the part where things were about to get good. Like they were, were up in the tree and they saw the, the, the merry-go-round go backwards mm-hmm. and they came off as kids. And I'm like, yeah, I don't want to sit through this. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. So what you missed out on that wasn't in the movie was a whole thing. <laughs> With the witch and a hot air balloon. Um, and it's, it was effective, but it's also like, what, what is happening here? <laughs> uh, and then there is a point in time also where they do the, uh, they get a, someone from the audience at the carnival to shoot a rifle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's the, the whole trick where you don't actually, there's a bullet in the rifle, but it's wax. So it mm-hmm. melts when you shoot it. And then the person has a bullet in their mouth already that makes it look like they caught it in their mouth. Nice. And, uh, and that whole scene is a pretty, pretty interesting and effective scene that actually goes in a direction that you're kind of surprised it goes in. So I'll spoil um, it off mic or off recording for you if you want, but <laughs> I won't do that here. Um, I think, I think also part of the reason why this hit me so not great was because uh for my for again for my other show we read allegedly uh for this month i was at the same time i was listening to another audio book that had no teeth to it so i was literally in going between two different books with no teeth that just were a bit too marshmallow for me and it's just like can you uh can you disclose the name of the book oh yeah it was ink heart oh i never read that (laughs) Um, I also have no intention uh, to read it. So, well, there you go. Yeah, uh, you're you're probably better off for it unless you're like super into uh, children's fiction. I can't even call it young adult. It's more children's fiction. Yeah. Um, if if you like if you liked the movie The Page Master, it might be something you're interested in. But otherwise, <laughs> no, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even need to try. So, all right. So a possible opportunity for a third, a third strike or not is Martian Chronicles. We'll see, but I, I'm not, I'm not opposed to giving it one more go. I think, uh, if I, when I make the attempt though, I need to make sure that I'm set up for it. So I'm not doing too books of similar mm-hmm. magnitude at the same time. Um, Oh, one other thought that I did have about this movie when, when I was watch when I got done with it, I would love to see a modern remake of this movie. Yeah, I would too. Um, I, I would want it to be the same script if possible, but I would love to see a modern, a modern remake of it set in the same, same time period, but with better, with updated visuals basically is what mm-hmm. I'm looking for. Um, and possibly some better child actors, but I'm, uh, I'm imagining what they did with it more recently. Oh, you would want them to push up the timeline. A no, little no. Bit? I, but the, the style, the actors, the, the tone in some ways mm-hmm. for the childhood version or the childhood chapter of it. Um, I think, and, and give it room to breathe. Uh, not too much, but give it a little bit of room to breathe and, and set up. This is a small town that's being invaded by evil and allow the characters to have some time. Now they did like the classroom scene where they're drawing the teacher, you know, that's not from the book either. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's some stuff that they're, they're setting characters up and, um, you know, putting Chekhov's rifle up on the wall there so they can fire it later on. Even though they don't actually fire a rifle, <laughs> it's in the book that they do that, but not in the movie. But, uh, I, here, here's your homework from this episode. Then Ben, you should write a, you should write a modern retelling of the story and pitch it to Disney. I think that's a little bit too much homework. I don't think I'm going to get to that, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, yeah. 
Um, no, they Disney actually was, I think, as much as as recent as three years ago, there was talk of a new a new version, but they they canceled that. I think it might have been a COVID cancellation. Because oh, uh, because as as anti Disney as I am in my own life, um, I I would be game for that. That would be something I would get off my soapbox a little bit for and go see that because that would be interesting. I would like them though, if they did that to aim for the PG. Um, I don't think they need to hit the PG 13. You can create mood and and you can create tone without like, I mean this, there's some bloody stuff in this movie and it got toned down. Like there was, it was bloodier. Um, Oh, was it now? Yeah. Yeah. So like there's the one scene where you see the the kid's head that got chopped off and there's blood around it. Like there's more stuff like that. Mm. So Yeah, but that was all part of the whole the movie's done. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> we spent a lot of money on this movie. Let's spend a little bit more. Let's see if we can make it back and No, oh, okay. Well, we got little mermaid on the horizon here. <laughs> If we can uh, just get was, through Oliver and company, then we'll that was be, a Disney bit more on the her, uh, little mermaid that came out in what? 89. Yeah. So yeah. you're, you're talking about a six year difference between those two movies. So. Well, yeah. I mean, Disney was in real danger here in the eighties in the middle in the early eighties, black cauldron really hurt Disney and these live action movies didn't, didn't do a whole lot to like change the course of things. So they got lucky that they they had Little Mermaid come and just revitalize everything. Yeah, I mean Michael Eisner came in and he mm. sold the soul of the company and <laughs> Yeah, maybe. But, <laughs> but some good art came out of it. So <laughs> Yeah. All right. Well, hey, we are at the end of this time together, I think. And I need to do what I always do with you, John, which is to say, where can people find you on the Internet? <sighs> OK, so we've For had more conversations with... like this. <laughs> we've had issues with at, on my other shows with how many other shows I actually do. So uh, look for my link tree link in the descriptions for this episode. <laughs> I'll send it. I'll send it to you, Ben, because I don't want to advertise seven different podcasts here uh, uh but i would say advertise two maybe i was about to, i was about to say but to highlight yes uh specific things that i'm doing uh i would say please go check out gospel by gaslight which is written by a good friend of mine named branson boykin uh, i am a voice actor on there it is a uh, audio drama um, I play the big bad in that and I get to let my evil guy off the chain and then also check out supersonic pod comics, which is written by Ben, Ben Avery. Uh, it's not who, Ben, Ben, it's Ben, <laughs> comma, Ben Avery. Uh, who, and now that uh, I started it, I can't stop it. I've done it for 10 years <laughs> or close to it. it, it, it it's become, it's to the point, sir, where it has become a meme. I know, but it, <laughs> what can I do? It's just my embrace thing. it. It's, it's, a, it's a thing. It's become a thing. Just, it's my thing. So just, just embrace it, sir. Uh, but go check out supersonic pod comics. I play Nick Foster on the randoms and it's a good time there as well. So those are my two for anything else. Please check out the, the link tree in the description for this episode. All right. And for me, I just want to say thank you everyone for listening. Please uh, check out our YouTube channel. I've been putting some videos out there uh, recently and enjoying that. And I would ask you to please like and subscribe there. But thank you so much for listening here to me and John talk about a movie we both like and a book we both read some words out of. And <laughs> Until next time, I just want to say thanks for listening and Godspeed.
You've been listening to the Strangers and Aliens podcast hosted by Ben Avery, Evan David, Steve McDonald, and Dr. Jason Neal. Our music was composed and mixed by Tim Leffel. We'd love for you to join the conversation by going to our website at strangersandaliens.com where you'll find show notes, articles, reviews, and more. You can also email us directly at podcast at strangersandaliens.com. Or you can join our social media conversations by following us on Twitter, where we are at Strange and Alien, or liking us on Facebook at facebook.com slash strangersandaliens. Or leave us a voicemail by calling the Strangers and Aliens hotline. That number is 1-804-37-ALIEN. And once again, thanks for listening. So for Fahrenheit, uh, Fahrenheit, Fahrenheit, good grief.